Well, hello again. Thanks for listening to the Planet LP podcast. I'm Ted Asurgadu, your pilot on this journey through the world of albums. And we are on episode 51 of this thing. I started back in 2021 as a way to talk about a big passion of mine, and that would be music. Another person who's very passionate about music is Pop Dose writer Keith Creighton. He's back with another Pop Dose new music report for the month of May 2022. And I put the date stamp on there in case you're listening to it in 2023 and beyond. And he'll be on in a bit. If you're listening to this podcast on an app, you already know how to get episodes delivered to your mobile device. But if you just jumped over to planetlp.com to listen to a few episodes, well, you can always subscribe and follow on all the major podcasting apps. If you are a band, an author, performer who would like to visit Planet LP for a chat and maybe feature some of your music or talk about your book, just email me at ted at planetlp.com to connect with me. We're on the socials. Yes, Instagram and Twitter. It's at the Planet LP. On Facebook, it's just Planet LP. And with that, let's get on with the show. Keith Creighton is back for more talk about new music releases for May 2022. Hi, Keith. Hello. <laughs> We're back. You? you are back. I'm glad to have you back on the planet to talk about a boatload of CDs that are coming uh, coming to a record store or in the mail near yeah. you. But before we get to some of those releases, I think we have to talk about some big things in the news. That happened the, the week that we are recording this. So, in the news, take yeah, it away. I love the James Corden show, and he always starts every show with the news, you know, and then they have some big keyboard cue and all that kind of stuff. So, I thought, well, mm-hmm. let's start the, this podcast with the news. Let's see. I've got a dramatic piano I can play. You want to hear a little bit of that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Do it. Do it. And now, Keith Creighton. Whoops. And now, Keith Creighton with the news. Well, let's start off with a little sad stuff. We'll get the sad stuff out of the way and then kind of keep moving forward. Um, Thursday, I think it was Thursday or a couple days ago. What a day it was. First, Ray Liotta passed. Amazing mm-hmm. actor. And then within minutes, my newsfeed was filled with the news that Alan White of Yes and Andy Fletcher of Depeche Mode had both passed. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, each one hit me like a ton of bricks. And they always say that it at, comes in threes, right? It always comes in threes. That it does. That it does. I was wondering if there's going to be a third music one. But Leota was also very iconic with a lot of his movies. He was a rock star in many ways. And But just earlier in the week, I live up in Seattle, and there was news from Alan White's family before he passed that they were still looking for his lost drum set that was stolen and they recovered a lot of the gear that was stolen in the van. But this drum set, Alan White of yes, fame used for John Lennon's imagine record because he was also in the plastic Ono band. And so I was just really bummed that, you know, he never got reunited with that before he passed, man, what a career Alan White had with yes. I saw a picture of that drum set. It was like a sparkly Ludwig, like a three piece or a four piece, maybe he like went on vacation or something and somebody broke into his house or thieves broke into his house and found a key and then went to some storage facility. And, and well, I could and, say is somebody is going to hell, you know, yeah. so, like return that drum kit, whoever has yeah. it, you know, if there's some idiot there with an basement, you know, Oh, come on people. So, yeah. And then Andy Fletcher Fletch from Depeche mode. He always looked at the Depeche Modiest of all of them. 
you know, in their 80s photos and keyboard player, man, kind of was a manager of the band. It's just a, what a big loss. You know, I could totally see Depeche Mode continuing just with the two of them. And he died in his sleep, right? Is that, that's what I read in the, in the obituary that, or a couple of them early on, I'm sure that maybe there will be more yeah. uh, information later, but at, at the time of this recording, they were just saying he died in his sleep. I guess at the that's age of 60. I think Ray Liotta did the same. And so that's the way I want to go. I'm going to go to yeah. bed and just not wake yeah, up. Exactly. You know. I don't, I don't want and sickness under death. What kind of reminds, you know, especially with all the other big news that happened this week, the fragility of life and really just kind of, you know, appreciating people while they're here, you know, and so yeah. but each of them has amazing discographies. We could go back and explore, celebrate their lives. What I'd like to say about Alan White is that uh, there's so much to choose from to highlight in terms of his drumming style especially with the group that he was the on and off again drummer for, which was Yes. So I went back and started listening to some just Yes albums that, he, of course, he played on from the early ones. Uh, it was around 1973, and then he right up to 83, I think it was a 73 to 83, he played on on most of the Yes albums. And you don't have to go into the deep end of the pool to understand what I mean. You just have to listen to like the band's biggest hit, Owner of a Lonely Heart. Yeah. And that's mostly like straight four, four time. He also creates some cool sounding effect fills that uh, I think come through like a, what do they call that synthesizer or that sampler? Yeah. The, the Fairlight? What Kate Bush was into back then in the day. Yeah. Know? And so there was like a, it was like a, a very, well, for now, now it would be a very old kind of sampler, but it, it had a very otherworldly synthesized feel of a drum fill. It starts the song. It's very alluring, you know, you look at, wow, what's this? And it really makes a statement once the guitar comes in. Um, another song that I think is really great is uh, Tempest Fugit, which is where he has to hold back a little bit because there's so much busy work going on with the guitar. Or <laughs> you could just jump into the deep end and listen to any of the albums that he did with Yes from 1973 yeah. till around Big Generator in 87. So, And um, here's a very personal fact. drummer. Yeah. Name the band that spun off solely from some of the percussion effects that were used on that big Yes album. I always want to call it 90210, but I know Me it's too. Me too. Me <laughs> too. I always call it 90210. <laughs> you know, or, or OU812, which I know is Van Halen. And, yeah. Yeah. But it was the art of noise. You know, they had so many sound effects left over from when they were trying to create that album mm-hmm. that they created the art of noise as an outlet for it to then look at how oh, that. Oh, you know, that's cool. Yeah. And it's, it's taken off. Yeah. It's 90125. I know. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. What else is in the news? Well, I was really pleasantly surprised to start reading the um, reviews of ABBA Voyage, which mm-hmm. finally opened in its own ABBA stadium in London. And the buzz is it's way bigger and way better than anyone conceivably imagined. You know, really? I was like, oh, holograms. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like it just seems like it'd be so weird to go and try to cheer towards an inanimate object. Like I would just, <laughs> I would just feel like an idiot in the stadium. But you're there with a live band. You know, so you're actually are giving feedback to the live band that's doing the the instrumentation and mm-hmm. the background singing. Mm-hmm. But then I hear the way they've created these avatars, they look 3D. They say that the light literally bounces off of them as if there's a human being standing in front of you. Hmm. And they say it's larger than life and it's a complete celebration of the music. And unlike like the Whitney Houston hologram or the Michael Jackson hologram that was done after they're dead. The one nice thing knowing is that all the living ABBA 
members participated in creating this, you know, that's so true. It's very yeah. much a celebration of them while they're alive. And of course on opening night, all four of them took the stage for the first time ever wow. since the breakup. And so it sounds like they have just got another cash cow on their hands, like the Mama Mia, which ABBA made more money off of Mama Mia and all of its residual enterprises, you know, the movies and the show. Um, they made more money off of Mama Mia than they did their original catalog at their heyday. Really? And so what? I think if they have a feeling they're about to make more money now on other voyage. <laughs> Methinks you're right. I think that's going to happen. They really are very, very good business people. Uh, even mm-hmm. from the early part of when they started getting a lot of money from their from their music, they started investing in other things. I mean, they built out that studio. Was it yeah. Polar? Yeah. The, and they also, I remember as a boy, I remember they had a line of shoes that came out. That they were selling. Yeah. You could buy your ABBA shoes. And, and uh, they, kid you I, not, they actually owned an oil company. I have four ABBA books and, you know, coffee yeah. table books that kind of go into the band. And so what happened is they had so much money coming in and they wanted to stay in Sweden, but Sweden has such a high tax rate that they just had to keep investing their money in different enterprises to keep it from being taxed. And one of them, all four of them went in on an oil company which was kind of like their version of the Hacienda, which sucked away most of New Order's money from their heyday. Yeah. You know, the nightclub that just was a big right, money right. hit. And so <laughs> the, from what I remember from the books, yeah, this oil company was not one of their best choices in terms of inv- investing their money. But, you know, I'm glad we got one new album out of them. And I'm mm-hmm. hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping they're like, okay, we're having so much fun. Why not? Let's do another album. Me so. too. Me too. I think that I would like to hear, I mean, if I had my druthers, I would like to hear the less ballad heavy stuff. I would like to hear them try and recapture some of that pop that they did back in the heyday. I'm still struggling with that album. Um, I like it. Okay. But I, I listened to it maybe once or twice, and then I just sort of let it sit there, and I go back to their earlier ones. I just marvel at their songcraft in those, yeah. you know, the seventies and eighties, and I just think yeah. oh, they were so good. Yeah, but, Super uh, Trooper and the Visitors are my mm-hmm. go-to. Like, just such sophisticated albums that just work on so many levels. And it was like, this still sounds fresh or even ahead of its time, you mm-hmm. know, 40 mm-hmm. years later. Yeah, Voulez-vous is good. It's kind of their disco-y album, but I like it too. So maybe Voulez-vous, Super Trooper, and, and The Visitors, those are my those are my go-to if I were to name three, and I just did. <laughs> so, let's, so as we continue well, down our, our news our newscast. More blasts from the past. Yes. So this just came in actually this morning. I got the email from Cherry Red Records that there's a new Buzzcocks record coming out. And so people might be like, wait a minute, Buzzcocks, Pete Shelley died in 2018. How could that be? And Howard DeVoto, the other kind of co-founder, left way back in the heyday. And so, but sure enough, Steve Diggle, who was also an original member, is carrying on as a three-piece. And so they have a brand new album, Sonics in the Soul, that's going to come out on, you know, Cherry Red in the mm-hmm. fall, in September. So then here's an interesting thing. You and I, we've talked about this in the on previous podcasts, really fun band name origin stories. And so Buzzcocks, do you know what that means? Uh, It's not dirty, is it? (laughs) No, it turns out, well, the thing is they liked it because it had the elements of dirty and it sounded naughty because they're a punk band, but it was based off of a headline they had read about a TV show. And so, you know, it said, this is the Buzzcocks. And so essentially two different words. Buzz meaning, you know, frenzy or Uh feverishly talking. 
But then Cox is a slang term for friend. So it's like, this is what the buzz is, friends. Oh, okay. And then it turns out, I've always called them up until this morning, the Buzzcocks. And it's never been. I guess it's always been Buzzcocks with no the. There's a few bands, I would say, where people put a the in front of it. Eagles? We say the Eagles, right? It's just Eagles. Eagles? It's just Eagles. That's it. I've never known that either. Pretenders. It's just Pretenders. Had no idea. So then the other new album that's coming out this um, August or September, I think there's been production delays. So I've pre-ordered it, but it's a new Altered Images album. And so then I find out this morning that Altered Images got their name from Buzzcocks. Really? (laughs) So it turns out as they were naming their band, I guess um, Pete Shelley was fussing over some of the band art for a Buzzcocks single. And then she, Claire Grogan had seen the thing about, you know, he kept altering the images. And ah. so that's where altered images came from. And really? so, yeah. Good so trivia. altered images has not put out a record since 1983. You're kidding. And so, and so the- do you remember they had don't talk to me about love <laughs> yep. was like one uh-huh. of the big hits and happy birthday is perennial. Happy birthday. Hit and, yep. Yep. You know, so they just dropped off the face of the earth. And so now they're back to original members and then um, they got Bobby Bluebell from the Bluebells, which I also just started recently catching up with some of their indie rock, you know, that was really big in England and kind of big on college radio over here. And then Bernard Butler of Suede. So the four of them, and then they're going to have some songwriting from another original member of Altered Images. So Mascara Streaks comes out this fall. Very exciting. And that's the news with Keith Creighton. So now you know. And now we're going to find out a little bit more about some music. On Blu-ray. So it's one of those strange things. I started buying Blu-ray discs again, and it seems very absurd now in the era of streaming mm-hmm. and omnipresent digital to actually fumble a bit to put a disc in a player to watch some <laughs> music videos. But I figured, okay, I have a lot of the other. I you know recently had bought you know Foo Fighters back and forth documentary on Blu-ray because I had never had it on home video at all. Kind of mourning the death of Taylor Hawkins. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going to revisit that amazing 2011 documentary. And it's great. And I think we may have talked about it in the previous episode. Almost every single thing, though, that they say, every soundbite that they give in that 2011 documentary is foreshadowing for what has happened. I'm always saying this could end at any minute. So I'm enjoying it while it's here. Well, that's, and, that's a lot of bands, right? I mean, they, yeah. they don't know how long this ride's going to last. Studio 666, the horror film that, you know, they put out in February. I'm sorry. Yeah. February, right before, you know, the March passing of Taylor Hawkins, mm-hmm. you know, kind of had a muted, didn't do too well in the movie theaters. And so it's finally found its way to Blu-ray. So I'm like, okay, a month ago, they wanted 1999 to rent it for a couple of days on digital. So now 1999 <laughs> to own it on Blu-ray. I'm like, okay, why not? It said it comes with a gag reel. I'm all in. So it arrived yesterday. Here's my take on it. The reason that this movie, one of the reasons this movie did not do well in the theaters, even before Taylor passed, is Dave gave away the entire plot in every single interview that he did to promote this. <laughs> He didn't tease one. it. He never teased it, right? Yeah. Or no. I could see him doing a little misdirection. So there's a twist yeah. at the end, you know? And I'm like watching this thing and it ended around 1030 last night. I'm like, whoop, that's exactly what Dave promised. Wow. <laughs> so, okay. You know, so it's kind of like, okay, the first rule of PR and I'm in public relations, you know, is 
don't give away the ending. You got to bait them, like put some characters in a situation and, oh, you got to go to the movies to see how they get out of this situation. So, right, right. So sure enough, I mean, it is kind of predictable. I thought Portlandia did the exact same possession story much better in a three minute skit. Studio 666 <laughs> was essentially the exact same thing. You know, oh, and they really no, no. whiffed the ending because there was actually some mythology in the movie that they could have played to kind of have like kind of a more interesting ending, you know? So the way I kind of like marinated on it, it's like, okay, they went for a comedy horror thing. And if Cabin in the Woods, the Joss Whedon one, mm-hmm. Scream and Shaun of the Dead are the Rolls Royce of horror comedies, this one's like a 96 Camry, you know? <laughs> Well, as a guy who's got a 2005 Camry, those things last, I got to tell you. They're great. There you go. So another one on the Blu-ray Roundup is a band that, uh, well, they were huge in the day and they still seem to have legs. The Police. Yeah. They have a new, so the, they have a new DVD and CD coming out. Yeah. So it's, or it's around, out, actually. It's, it's out, out now. It's yeah. Out. yeah. So around the world, basically this takes, and I kind of like brought up a couple other kind of fishtail back to Depeche Mode for a bit. Mm-hmm. Especially back in the day of home video, the record labels, when a band really was taken off, was like, okay, how do we make more money off of this? And so then they're like, okay, whether it's home movies or put a movie in the theaters, you know, how do you capture a band at their zeitgeist, you know, to kind of, you know, ring that cash cow a little bit more? Sure. Yeah. Like this is a big deal and we want to make sure that we capture this moment because we don't know where they're going to be in five years or whatever. Exactly. So you get these cobbled together movies. The police around the world was exactly that a bunch of home movies and kind of stapled together performance shots and news clips and stuff like that of the band touring the world. So they really did a good job taking old footage and really filling it in digitally. So it looks brand new, even though it is still on the old ratio, which is actually a good thing. And it comes with a really nice, a bonus CD of full performances. And so if you're looking for just a really good snapshot of different, you know, songs taken from around the world on the tour, Mm -hmm. the CD itself is worth the buy. And so that's where I'll be doing most of my mileage is just listening to the CD. But, you know, nicely done, you know, with restoring the movie, I'll probably get through the whole thing this weekend. But it reminds me of like, what are some of the other movies that kind of are in this vein? You have Depeche Mode 101, Radiohead, Meeting People is Easy, Nirvana, Live Tonight Sold Out. And then mm-hmm. ABBA, the movie. So we're, yeah, we're that one. feeling yeah. back to everything we've talked about. Now, the thing is, with all those movies, God, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> I thought, is he going to be diplomatic and say, well, they kind of missed the mark. No, I think you just won't write for yeah. it. They suck. <laughs> you know, like, I think the worst of them all, and the thing is, they're putting it back in theaters because of ABBA Voyage. But oh my God, mm-hmm. ABBA the movie is just oh, one of the worst things I've ever seen. Have you seen it? <laughs> Yes, I did, unfortunately. And, you know, essentially they didn't have access to the band. So here no. they, they commissioned a movie. The, and so the whole movie is about not having access to the band. But then they see them at the end. And they did the little dream sequence. I think they got a couple of hours with the band to do a dream sequence, yeah. which is the best part of the movie. But, you know, same thing with Radiohead and the Depeche Mode ones. It was just all about, oh, we're this really successful, important band. And now we're so overwhelmed by the success. And, the tedium of doing all the interviews. Right. Right. And so yeah. the only one of the the bunch that I think does it really well is Nirvana live tonight sold out, which Cobain was involved in prior to his passing. Did you see, have you seen that one? I have not. No, that's one. That I, one I have not. highly recommended because essentially what they do is yes, they've just stapled a bunch of clips together from around the world, but the way they edit it 
you really do get the e-ticket ride of going along with what happened with that band. You see like one of the most amazing clips in there is a club gig where Kurt stage dived and the bouncer was having none of it. And so then the bouncer just clocks Cobain. Grohl <laughs> runs up over the, the riser of the drums and everyone just gets into this full brawl. It's just like amazing how intense things were. And as things get kind of, you know, out of control, the, the editing starts going faster and you get more and more disoriented as things just get bigger and bigger and bigger and the edits go faster and faster and faster. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then it culminates on when they were on top of the pops, Kurt Cobain sang the strangest because they put his mic live and the rest of the band had to mime. Dave's not even trying to get anywhere near the, the drums with his sticks. Kurt's got his hand flat, like about eight inches from the guitar, doing like a really horrible mime of the guitar. But then he <laughs> sings it like Frank Sinatra on Quaaludes. And it is the funniest thing I've ever seen. It's a wonderful way to give the middle finger to top of the pops. <laughs> yeah. And so the kids don't know what's going on. So then the energy dissipates from the audience and they're all looking like, is this, are we even still being filmed? Like what's happening? It's just <laughs> hysterical. Police around the world. I think you're going to be more into it for having a really nice concert CD. Here's a weird fun fact. By the end of that decade, Stuart Copeland was in Cleveland, Ohio, working next door. He was putting on an opera at the Cleveland Opera. And he wrote it. It was going to be its big debut. And so he was always hanging out at the radio station where I was interning. So I met mm -hmm. him a couple of times. Okay. Nice guy. And right? then, yeah, we went to opening night and our weather lady at the at the radio station was such an opera fan. So she was just like, oh my God, we're going to, it's going to be the greatest thing in the world. She was sound asleep halfway through this thing. <laughs> It was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And I still have my playbill from it. You know, remember the, what's that red ticker tape kind of LED displays, you know, where you can have the red, you know, letters scrolling across the stage. Yeah. 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 So they did that on the ceiling of the theater. And so all the translations for what you're hearing the actors sing was up there. So everybody was locked on that and not even looking at the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, you know, you lose blood to the brain and half the audience was asleep. You saw the opera, but what was that opera called? Holy Blood and Crescent Moon. And Ooh, it was one of those title. Strange, yeah. <laughs> so I remember they built this really huge, fantastic castle. And it was a typical, I think, what if I recall, the princess gets kidnapped. And so they had to go rescue her. And so like in the first act, the castle is the, the princess's castle. And then the okay. second act, it's the evil castle. But it's the exact same set. And all they did was really change the flags. <laughs> but not that anybody noticed because we're all we had our heads above the stage trying to read the, you know, the captions. <laughs> the translation. <laughs> so, Man. Uh, sometimes you just got to stick in your lane. He was trying to stretch out in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this sounds like a, a real... <laughs> Sounds like a real lead balloon, if you ask me. But yeah. Yeah. he does have one of the funniest unboxing videos I've seen. You, you know, what oh my unboxing God. video. Have you, seen, have you seen the one for the police? I, put it, I did. I put it on our Planet LP Facebook page because. Oh, that's where I saw it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh my god! I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. I thought that was pretty funny. Because the funny thing is, as a record collector, though, my nuts were way up in my body cavity because he's just throwing the vinyl over his shoulder. I know. Like, no, it's like he doesn't care. That's I know. I this is so good. It's very good because usually was, it's done with such reverence. Oh, look, yeah. you know, it's got this Ooh, and that, right? And he's throwing these albums left and right, and he has these little capsule summaries of what he thought of the record. Uh, yeah. So that was very funny. So I'm like, oh, maybe yeah. he's got a future in comedy. Yeah, he's, he may. I mean, he's him a like talk a, show. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, there's one thing about Stuart Copeland is that that guy can talk, man. He's so yeah. He would be good on a podcasting, I think. So let's yeah, do yeah. let's shift gears a little bit. Let's do okay. some quick takes because you've got a lot of albums. In fact, you've got ten you want to spotlight. So we're going to try to do this in around ten minutes. So ten okay. albums, ten minutes. And I'm going to start my stopwatch here so we can yeah. kind of keep track. Let's see if we can sure actually you know do me, that. Like Stuart Copeland, I can go long in the tooth talking about things. So let's see if okay, we can really so get this thing in. All right, Keith, you've got the timer going. It's 10 albums in 10 minutes and go. Def Leppard is back, 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 back. Wow. Diamond Star Halos just came out this week, and I think it's pretty freaking good. Everything has been so intense. Even when we kind of go through a lot of the other albums that are out now, there's a lot of stuff that's very soft and stuff that's very important. And this is just a back of the bar party album. So they're they're doing that classic Coke sound of Def Leppard. They're kind of trying to get that 80s vibe again. Yeah, in it's a way. and that thing is I've been hearing a lot of the buzz that it's like one of their best albums since their heyday 80s albums. Really good production, good sing-along choruses, and it's just like it's just fun. All right. Next up, the Highway two. to the Danger Zone. Top Gun Maverick, <laughs> the biggest movie in the world, has got the biggest soundtrack in the world. With Lady Gaga, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's like a one hit, you know, there's only two kind of pop tracks on there. There's, they masterfully put Kenny Loggins back on because you cannot have any Top Gun thing without Danger Zone. So that's back. Lady Gaga has a great new track. And then most of it is, kid you not, Harold Faltemeyer, who we have not really heard from since, you know, like the heyday with Beverly Beverly Hillbilly's Cop. (laughs) I like that one. Beverly Hillbilly's Cop. That'd be a great movie. Let's get that one made. (laughs) Jethro. (laughs) Jethro is the cop. He would make, he'd probably make a good cop. So he's got a score. Yeah, Harold Faltermeyer. Big city. Yeah. Is it any good? I mean, as far as his stuff? Yeah. So I was listening to it last night. And, you know, for what it's supposed to be, big anthemic film music, like, why does this guy not do more movies? He's like kind of right hmm. up there with John Williams in terms of a big, big soundtrack. Okay. Right. I hear great things about the movie. I hear it's going to be the greatest movie of all time. So, um, <laughs> of course, it will because Tom Cruise stuff. is in it. Of course. So, here's it's a band uh, that I guess I'll set up by saying Wolfgang Fleur. There you go. So, Wolfgang <laughs> was in craft work, you know, especially back in the heyday. And so he's been putting out, and I've got a bunch of his kind of solo records from here and there, you know, very kind of more experimental electronic music, but he's Mm -hmm. decided to kind of go back to the well and do like a big eighties dance album. And so he's almost done his own kind of craft working in version of Santana record. Supernatural. Okay. So yeah. So when you bring in the, the stars of the day or who you want to work with, did, did Wolfgang bring in Rob Thomas? (laughs) Should have. That would have been a great. Actually, Rob Thomas with his kind of song, the songcraft or his soundcraft, that'd be really cool. But he has Midyear from Ultravox, Claudia Joyce, you know, from Propaganda, and Peter Hook from New Order all guest on this. 
Okay. And so it's definitely this one's, you know, these guys are all my age and this thing has got some bangers, you know, so like really good, meaty, well-textured German dance rock, especially listening to Claudia and Peter Hook on um, Birmingham, which is the big single off of this. Hearing Peter Hook's lonely bass lines reminds me of that New Order really needs him back, even though they don't get along. The family's oh, always God, fighting. They hate each other. Yeah. But man, yeah. it's such a signature sound. You know, and so it does really well in here. You know, the mid-year track is awesome. You know, everyone says it's just like it's really just Ultravox meets Kraftwerk, which is a delicious yeah. contribution. Yeah, and then- that's yeah, that's great. I like that. So here's a here's a performer that I'll I've gotten to know more because of the television series she was on. It's Mandy Moore, and she was on the, the NBC series This Is Us, which just concluded. But yeah, uh, she has a remember new back album in the day with you know so. Britney was the big sex symbol. Mm-hmm. Christina Aguilera was the singer. Jessica Simpson was kind of the, the supermodel Barbie, you know, and then Mandy Moore was just kind of like the indie girl, you know, and the four of them really owned late 90s, early 2000s pop. And then Mandy Definitely. Moore kind of went off and became a movie star. And now she's just had a six year run on This Is Us. But she still right. has always put out these kind of like Laurel Canyon 1970s records. A little bit of folk, a little bit of country, just a kind of little bit of light rock. In Real Life just came out. Also has a Target special edition with some bonus tracks. Right now from where I am, kind of getting ready for the summer, I'm like, I'm ready for the summer. You know, it's very you're late. Def Leppard. You're, you're Def Leppard right now. I'm yeah. in Def Leppard mode. So I think this will be <laughs> my end of the summer when I'm just kind of like chilling out. I'm going to kind of revisit this one. But it's a very, very quiet record. So it kind of pairs nicely with Harry Styles' Harry's House that just came out. Mm -hmm. I don't like Harry's House as much as I loved. I absolutely loved his first two records. You know, I'm like, okay, he's definitely the next Bowie. But he's Mm -hmm. also going outside of the big single that came off of Harry's House. It's a very mellow record. You know, very AM radio, 1970s, you know, very chill. So I think I'm going to revisit these at the end of the summer. I wasn't too taken with it. I had it, again, I listened to it twice and I was just sort of like, "Eh, I'll come back to it. Moving on to Arcade Fire before we run out of time here. I don't know if we're going to make our 10 minute mark, but let's try it. it. So Arcade Fire, let's just go through. It lives up to all the hype. You know, we is sweeping, magnificent. It's just absolutely gorgeous to listen to Arcade Fire. We, one of my best records of the year. The next one, Soft Cell. They have a new one out and a lot of people are puzzled. They're like, wow, this is very cabaret. Even mm-hmm. though cabaret was in the title of one of their biggest records ever. <laughs> but, you know, Mark Almond's always been a cabaret singer, kind of trapped in the new wave idiom. And so Soft Cell, the new one, it's called Happiness Not Included. It's, I think it's a lovely record. I think it starts off the first half is very strong and then it kind of fades a little bit, but then it kind of ramps up at the end. Really like that one. Now, this is a band I have loved for 20 years and I have no idea how to say their name. Reichsop? R-O-Y-K-S-O-P-P. However you say that. (laughs) It's a great, they have a great new record. Allison Goldfrapp of Goldfrapp is on it. And so the thing is, Reichsop, you know, they're Norwegian. And Erland Oy, you know, did a lot of vocals on some of their early stuff. You know, like Poor Lino, you know, which is not about Jay Leno, you know, but they've always (laughs) married really arresting videos to their sounds, you know, because it's a very DJ album, very sweeping, atmospheric. And so I found out that this new one, the entire album is paired with a visual album where they've got in different directors to kind of interpret each of the tracks. You can use an element of the song if you want, but you don't have to use the whole thing. And so there is a visual album if you look for the new album online, because especially Porlino, I went back and watched that video again, and it's a 
basically was a statement on zoo animals and what it's like from their perspective to be taken from the wild and then imprisoned in a zoo. And it is one of the most beautiful haunting videos I've ever seen. It holds up all these years later. And so more of the same, you know, look at the new visual album and the new audio album from Reich's up. Now here's one that I talked about on the last episode and you said you wanted to hear it and it's envy of none, which is the Alex Lifeson's post rush project. So what'd you think? I love it, you know, because I love stuff like garbage, strong female vocal, mm-hmm. very well-produced sonic dance music. But you know, the big thing is there's all these Rush fans that were hoping that there was kind of like something rushy about mm-hmm. this since it has yeah. Alex Lifeson in there. And there is one connection, you know, the instrumental that closes the album called Western Sunset yep. was kind of written by Lifeson at the home of Neil Peart right before the drummer died in 2020. And so there is a little bit of like kind of an homage to Rush there, but really it's a totally different band and a completely fresh start. And if you didn't even know Rush, which really I didn't have much Rush baggage kind of going into this album, it is just a really amazing one. Pairs nicely with the Reichsop and the Wolfgang Fleur. If you want something that's dancey and edgy and a little bit strange and just kind of, oh, I just can't get enough of it. I think it's well produced and oh, one good. of the best of yeah. the year. Now, here's a band that I love their name, but it doesn't really reflect who they are. And the band is called Let's Eat Grandma. These girls, Rosa Walton and Jenny Hollingworth, formed at 13 in England. (laughs) And they put out really sweetly weird avant pop. And so like their debut album, I, Gemini, it's just such a weird, unpredictable album that just constantly veers in new directions. And so I was kind of like looking at like their, they had a single called Eat Shiitake Mushrooms. <laughs> it starts off avant cinema, then it goes into a new order or orbital club vibe, very dancey. Right. Then it turns into pre-tween pop and then it becomes a rap album and you're still in the first half of the song. <laughs> and they're all over the place. Yeah. So they have a new record and so they've decided to kind of like, okay, maybe we're on album number three now. Let's try to broaden our base a bit. And so it's still weird. It's still fully them. Very sweet, very strange, but they do have more U2 and Taylor Swift ambitions with this one. I hear, and even- I hear the Taylor Swift on there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so even with the more kind of focused sonic structure, it's still kind of fits them, but it'll now give them plenty of material to play at big festivals all summer. All right. And then finally, we're going to make it to the 10 minute mark. The smile. The smile. smile. I always thought, you know, because like between Tom York and Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, smile Mm -hmm. is not something you get from them. And so another (laughs) interesting band name. So yeah, York said in a quote, I got this from the Wikipedia. They don't mean smile as in grin, you know, it's more as about the smile from the guy who lies to you every day. That's so Radiohead, you know, like that's so radio. Yeah, yeah. The, the album, you know, it's out digitally now, comes out physically later in the summer. It very much just sounds like another Radiohead, you know, kind of between oh, okay. rainbows and, mm-hmm. you know, King of Limbs, you know, so it's kind of in that sonic soundscape. It's just Radiohead without the heaviness of being Radiohead. So the Now series has CDs from the 60s to the 90s. So you you sent me images of yeah. the track listing that you want to talk about. And I was looking through and I thought, that's a pretty good mix of familiar. And then I don't remember these people. So the Now, that's what I call music. This is thing has been going since the early 80s in England and since around the Britney Spears era here in America. Typically what the Now series was is here's all the latest hits on one CD for one price. 
before streaming. It was like the nice way. It was an affordable way, especially in Walmart America, to mm-hmm. get all the hits in one place to listen in your car. Mm-hmm. You know, but this series is special. This is the forgotten hits series. And I highly recommend people snapping these things up while they're still in print because these things don't stay in print long. The Forgotten Hits, it reminds me of an old Pop Dose. You know, know I have our Pop Dose connection. They did a series back in the day called Bottom Feeders of the 80s, which was all about the tracks that never really bubbled up. What they never made the top 40, but they were in the top 100. Mm -hmm. You know, so they were popular, but they weren't hits. And this is what this series does. It basically looks at what are some of the kind of hits, but a lot of these are bands, you know, with some of their other singles or just really obscure one hit or could have been one hit wonders. And whoever put these sets together really a knows the music, loves the music, and then figured out how to put these together where they are just so listenable. And it's amazing how you can get from something in a couple of chess moves from like on I'm going for the in the seventies disc three starts mm-hmm. off with think of DD Jackson automatic lover, but then in a couple of chess moves, they get all the way down to CW McCall's convoy, you know? <laughs> and then even at the end of that East of Eden's Jigga jig sounds like flogging Molly 20 or 30 years before flogging Molly. And then it ends with Diodato's, you know, also Sprack Zarathustra, yeah, which was the that, yeah. disco version of the Disc- 2001 Odyssey. Right. Movie. If you put the disc on, of course, some of them you will, most people will recognize, in our age group, would probably recognize Convoy because oh, that yeah. thing was on the radio all the freaking time. But uh, the the other ones, it was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> it's like yeah. Every- and so it's it's a bit of a trip down memory lane. So the yeah, now the weird thing is yeah, hit series. And they have two in the eighties, but then they have the sixties, the seventies, the nineties, and they have the yeah, did two volumes. You got two hundred songs from the eighties. How much was 12 this? Twelve yeah. to sixteen bucks, and you get five okay. discs. So you said wait, twelve to fifteen bucks and you get five discs five from discs. the sixties to the nineties? No, so like this just oh. the seventies alone is five discs. The 60s oh, gotcha, is, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. The, the sixties they got a hundred songs on four discs. Mm-hmm. But all the rest are five discs. And you can't go wrong, five CDs, especially the ones that are just so well put together. That's a, that's one I'm going to try to plop down some money on. And for anybody looking at these, don't buy them for the songs you know. Buy them for the songs you don't know because that's yeah. the biggest return <laughs> on your investment is. You're like, oh my God, where's this song? Like The Motors, Airport. I had never heard of the band or the song. It's not one of my favorite songs. That's one I don't know either. And this might be a good segue into an album I want to talk about, which I've only heard three tracks. So talk about songs you don't know. Yeah. And the band though, was kind of on ice for a while. In fact, uh, <laughs> since 2011 and I'm talking about porcupine tree. They have a new album coming out on June 24th called closure continuation. They released their last record in 2009 and then they took a huge break <laughs> while the lead singer Music director, songwriter, producer, Stephen Wilson, he pursued a solo career that, as he said, was more creatively satisfying than what he was doing with Porcupine Tree. Now, Porcupine Tree is a kind of progressive rock band, mostly in that in that vein. They sometimes veer into metal. I like a lot of their records. I'm not yeah. like a completist. Like I have to hear everything by them and sort of parse their lyrics or whatever. But I came to them late. I mean, I only 
started listening to their music maybe five, 10 years ago. I think it was maybe like 10 years ago I started listening to their music. Uh, and then really like Stephen Wilson's solo stuff. I'm really uh, enjoying that and going back and listening to things that I just never bothered to listen to. And then I've got some favorites. But this new uh, Porcupine Tree album, they started recording it in around 20, 2012. Okay. So they started putting down wow. ideas on wow. hard drive. And this thing has been living on hard drives since that time. They would have to transfer it so they didn't lose all that uh, music. So the ideas for these albums have been living on these hard drives since 2012. The album was actually completed last year, but they held it back because Porcupine Tree is also going on tour. And they are coming to North America. They do have some North American dates. So the record label wanted that to coincide more towards when the tour started. So to whet our appetites, three singles have been released. One in 2021. That's called Herodin. It's okay. The one I really like is of the New Day. And that came out this year. And then they released a third single called Heard Culling. Now of the three, I like of the New Day the best, probably because it's the most melodic. And to me, from just basically hearing Harridan and Heard Culling, they have a lot of metal elements. It just sounds a little sterile and overworked to me. It just, I, I'm just not quite oh, feeling it yet. Yeah. yeah. So, but maybe the record will grow on me when they finally release it. But you and I like Stephen Wilson a lot. And I think we really liked his solo record, The Future Bites. I'm sure Stephen Wilson's got more solo stuff that he wants to put out, but for for now, I guess we get some porcupine tree coming down yeah, the pike. For me and the other listeners, where's a good entry place? Because here's the thing. I was a big Stephen Wilson fan. Mm-hmm. And then people said, oh, he's also in this band called No Man. So I'm like, yeah. oh my God. So yeah. I ran and bought the No Man record. Then it's, oh, he's in Blackfield. So I bought the Blackfield record. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I got all these Stephen Wilson records. Now I got yeah. No Man and Blackfield. And then someone said, oh, he's also in Porcupine Tree. And I'm like, I never heard of Porcupine Tree. Yeah. So where's a good entry point of Porcupine Tree? Okay. For me, it is actually their first proper album called Signify. And that came out in 96. Wow. Try that one because that's where I think he was doing some things that I guess were sort of novel for that genre. He was doing a lot of sampling. There's yeah. some very long musical interludes that that go on in sort of Pink Floydy directions in a way. So for me, it's it's one of the more accessible ones, and that's where you start. And then for me, the, the Porcupine Tree stuff sort of loses its plot when they get more medley. I just figured I was oh. I'm just not feeling it. I like I know he's very melodic as a solo artist, and I guess that's where my ears are tuned. I like that kind of music better. When I hear a very strong melody, there's a real uh, good chorus. Everything just sort of locks in in a sort of a pop <laughs> bubble wrap, if you will. But when they go off on the kind of chunk of chunk of metal stuff, I'm just like, eh, yeah, that's not that my that's not my thing. So okay, yeah, cool. I would start with that because yeah, I'm finally start- getting into some, you know, what do you call it? that music with like Tame Impala? Is that the same kind of thing, or is that a totally different sound? A totally different sound. Yeah. Taman Pal okay. is a little bit uh, more soul, I would say. But I would okay. say with the Porcupine Tree albums, yeah, go go with that one. Start with Signify and see what you think. And then make baby steps to other ones. They they certainly have a fairly big catalog. Well, not huge, but it's it's enough to where you can you can see the band changing in various ways. Okay, cool. And Stephen yeah. Wilson kind of directs this whole thing anyway. It's all sort of his brainchild. 
And he's known for the 5.1 surround sounds on other people's mm-hmm. records, like the Tears for yeah. Fears box set. And we were talking about some other one. things. Yeah, yeah. So does do these Porcupine Tree albums sound that amazing or do they get sludgy? Uh, they, they sound good. They're very crisp. He's very good at production, whether he's actually behind the boards or he hires somebody to do it. And I think he's very meticulous about the sound of the record once it's mastered and even, you know, during the initial recording. So they're, they're all fairly well done and signify had gotten a a pretty good remaster. I can't, I can't tell you like, Oh my God, it's so amazing. I just think it sounds very good. Um, But you're right about the, the 5.1 surround sound remixes that he does that tears for fears. One was great. I think that was just fantastic. And I hope he can, I, I know a lot of, a lot of bands are reaching out to him to do those because they just love the work that he did. He's done a couple of Rush 5.1 remixes. So yeah, a lot of classic rock bands are saying, hey, Steven, would you like to give me the 5.1 surround sound remix on my album? So there I think go. he's got plenty As long to as the check clears, he's probably doing it. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we've got a couple of uh, previews to go through. And uh, these are probably just very quick because I think they're yeah, only the sixth hour at this point. of this podcast. Let's yeah, let's wrap yeah, yeah. it up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, disc three. Well, the funny thing is, and this isn't in our to-do list, but you just made me remember. Dave, you, do you know who's the singer on the new Tame Impala single? No, no. Diana Ross. So he has got <laughs> Diana Ross singing on, and it's oddly enough, it's on the Minions wow. soundtrack. Oh, God. So no. got to love that. So yeah, I guess um, if you like Minions, but... Diana Ross. Diana Ross with Tame Impala. Yeah, very exciting stuff. So that's coming out this summer. Two others. We talked on previous episodes about Biba Doobie and Luna Lee and the Linda Mm -hmm. Lindas, you know, these artists that are kind of doing the most exciting stuff in rock and pop right now. Some are queer, some are straight. The Pillow Queens was another one we talked about with multiple different ethnicities, often kind of wrapped into one heritage. And so... Kind of continuing that, there's two new good releases that are going to come out later this summer. One is the new album by Muna. I think it's either Muna or Muna, M-U-N-A. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. had a big hit called Silk Chiffon last year. And yeah, I like one that of one. my favorite pop good. songs of the new of the millennium. You know, so Silk Chiffon is going to be on the new record. And so they are very out proud, queer love anthems, was just amazing. And same thing with Haley Kyoko. Um, she has got a, her new album coming out. And then I just found out there's a new MIA record, you know, cause talk about <laughs> yeah. who's lived up to her name and being missing in action. <laughs> so MIA has a new record coming out later this summer. So very right. exciting stuff. I think a lot of stuff to look forward to this year. I, I heard the single or at least the, the song they released called the one. And she does sound more mature on this one, which means for me, at least that she's not trying so hard to shock. It, yeah. She lets the song kind of breathe and definitely worth a listen. It's not, um, it's not a retread of okay. like her earlier stuff. So it's, it's, it's good. I, re- I really liked it. Yeah. Cause her early stuff was just some of the most exciting music of the decade. And especially the first two albums. And then she did a deep low remix called, I think it was called piracy loves terrorism. This is exciting stuff. But then I think she jumped the shark during the super bowl with Madonna, where she flipped the bird, you know, mm-hmm, to 120 mm-hmm. million people. I'm like, okay. You didn't really need to do that. And I'm not a prude or anything, but it just seems so, you know, I'm trying to be edgy. I'm trying to get the headline kind of thing. It's like, okay, if you're singing backup for Madonna, you've already lost your indie cred there. You know, and I love Madonna. Speaking of, she's got a three disc 
hits collection coming out later this summer, which is going to be amazing because it's all another hits collection, huh? But it's all rarities and kind of more remixes and different versions of stuff. So, do you think she's got anything left in the tank to do more new music? I don't think so. And so the thing is, she had such a great renaissance with music and American Life. Yeah, those were great albums. Amazing albums that oddly enough, like the winds inducing rap from the American Life single was kind of hard to take Madonna rapping. But then when they did the remix EP and built an entire song just off the rap, it was amazing. Like, oh my God, that's where this needs to be. Never count Madonna out. You know, I think her NFT thing that she just wasted most of this year doing was ridiculous. (laughs) Like Lily got in right as the NFT market crashed. But she just has to plug back into doing what she always did best, which is listen to what's happening on the street and then kind of be the first to bring it into the mainstream. If she does that again, she'll have another major hit because she looks great. She looks like she's in good shape. She shouldn't call her next album NFTs and Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we should do a discussion one time about Madonna's music. And I know that she's gone through twists and turns and permutations and tried this and tried that. And and that's an artist who thrives on trying to do something controversial in order to get eyeballs to watch her. And in a way she's sort of a precursor to the internet. You know, yeah. The more outrageous you can be, the more people are going to look at you. However, unlike the yeah. internet, she's got talent and she can write catchy pop songs. So yeah. And here's my one, like this is a two degree of separation story. But back in my PR day, I mm-hmm. had a client that was a faucet company. And so the marketing manager of the faucet company was my client. And we were mm-hmm. driving to a meeting and she said, listen to this. And she popped in a cassette and it was some, some you know, some kind of demo-y techno music starts coming out. I'm like, oh, that sounds really amazing. And she's like, yeah, my brother is one of Madonna's producers, Patrick Leonard. And so she was playing demos of stuff that then later wound up on a Madonna record. Wow. I knew Patrick Leonard's sister was my client back in the day. So (laughs) it's pretty cool. Like give Madonna a really good producer and you get amazing songs. That is true. And I think we'll end it on a high note there. Cool. Talking about Madonna in a positive way. So Keith, thank you so much for being back on the podcast to talk about new music. I'm so happy to have you on because again, you highlight bands and artists that would never show up on my radar because I don't buy as many CDs as you do. And uh, you give me new things to listen to. And I hope uh, for our listeners of Planet LP that something similar happens to them, that they'll say, I will check these things out. So that's great. Thank you again. Always a pleasure. And that closes the book on the new music releases for the month of May in the year of our Lord. (laughs) 2022. All right, folks, I'll be back next time with more talk about music right here on the Planet LP podcast. Bye for now.